This morning, we are going to learn about a very, very bad king. His name is Manasseh. His father's name was Hezekiah. His grandfather's name was Ahaz. And when we meet Manasseh this morning, we find out how old he was. And you know, I started thinking through our church here of little boys that aren't so little anymore who were the age of His Majesty Manasseh when he became king. Any guesses how old Manasseh was when he became king? Or maybe you know. How old do you think he was? Anybody know? Oh, he's afraid it was his age. You see him? He's, he's afraid that it was his age, and I'm going to call on him for volunteers. Well, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And I started thinking through this church. You know, we got several little boys who are there at 11 or 12, don't we? You know who you are, don't you? We've got Nathan. We've got Elijah. We've got William. Uh, we'll point where Charlie normally sits. And we've got Jackson. And we've got James. Wow, we got a whole crowd of boys 10 or 11 years old. So guess what? I got lots of volunteers from Manasseh, right? Now, they're not all here, but I could use some helpers. So how about this? Just to put everything in play here of the different characters this morning, I've got three of those boys here this morning. So can all three of you or all of you who are just named that are here, can you come on up here? Because I've got three different roles this morning of different people to play. And you guys are going to help me play it. So, here, well, should I tell them who the three roles are or just have them draw straws? I don't have any straws. All right. Here's the three roles. We've got King. King Manasseh. I have an Assyrian king. And I have a prophet, perhaps Isaiah. So, who wants to volunteer for Isaiah? Okay, he volunteered. Boy, guys, that would have been the one I would have raised my hand for. Isaiah. Okay, so here we've got Isaiah, one of the servants of the Lord. All right? All right, who wants to be the king of Assyria? Okay, William, you're the king of Assyria. Oh, boy, you better be warned by this. Look what he's putting on. Hands up, up through first, hands up through first. There you go. All right. And uh, you also, just for sake of today, you also have some props. Yes. You hold on to those things. That leaves you as His Majesty Manasseh. So, let's see here. So here we've got King of Judah. There we go. It probably ain't going to hold, but we'll see. So, we've got these three kings. Anybody missing? Well, you don't know the story yet, do you? How about the king who is normally represented by this crown? What kingdom does this crown normally represent, as we've been studying in Bible Hour? 
What kingdom? Oh, that's these guys. What kingdom? Israel. Now, why do you think I didn't pick anybody out for Israel? That's right. They've already been carried away captive to Assyria. They're gone. So there is no Israel. But there is Judah. And here we have Manasseh. We have an Assyrian king. We're not exactly sure of his name. And we have, we don't know his name, but we'll just imagine for a time, Isaiah. Now, before we launch into this, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 38. Because we need to set the framework here. Do you remember your dad's name? Hezekiah. That's his dad's name. Before you were born, your dad got sick. You hear that? Remember that story? He got sick. And he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord delivered him. But before the Lord delivered him, he told him to set his house in order. Do you know one of the reasons why God told Hezekiah to set his house in order? Is because he had no heir. You hadn't been born yet. Meaning he had to establish and appoint one to be regent, king, after he was gone. It wasn't for another three years before Manasseh was born. So if we look at our timeline, we know these kings, right? These are your ancestors, aren't they? Well, not Saul, but David and Solomon, right? We're going to learn some more about David and Solomon today. You know, they just keep coming up, don't they? All through this history of these kings, David and Solomon keep coming up. They're going to be mentioned again today. And you know why it's so significant? Is because God made promises to David and Solomon that impact you, that impact your father, that have impacted your entire family. That's why they're so important. That's why we start on this slide. But you remember after Solomon, the kingdom was divided with Israel at the north and Judah in the south. Is your name up there? It's not up there. There's no Manasseh, so we'll go on to the next slide. Let's go on in the timeline. Is your name up there? No, your name's not up there, but you're up there. Do you guys see Manasseh up there? You know where he's at? Well, if you look down at the bottom right of the screen, that little, little sliver of purple in the bottom right, that's you. But see, this is the problem with charts that are limited to screen widths. Because here is where we're at, and Manasseh comes on the end. But before we go to Manasseh, I want to look at your dad again real quick. Can we do that? Let's zoom in on your dad's life, Hezekiah. Here you can see the left side, the blue line shows where he was born. The green line shows where your dad became king. And the purple line is when he got sick and was healed, and the sign of the shadow moving back 10 degrees happened. Here now, the yellow line, there's when you were born. That's also when the siege of Jerusalem took place. Interesting that the siege of Jerusalem by Sennacherib took place at the same time you were born, same time period. But now, 12 years have passed, and your father, Hezekiah, has died. So let's go back to the bigger timeline. Did you see that little bit of purple there at the end there? Well, let's go and see at the end of Hezekiah's reign where you fit. Ah, there's Manasseh. This is to scale. You reign a long time, don't you? but you started when you were 12 years old. How would you like to be king tomorrow? 
Well, let me ask it this way. How would you like to be president of the United States tomorrow? How many of you would like him to be president of the United States tomorrow? <laughs> Probably because you would think he'd have wise counselors, right? But typically, we wouldn't pick a 12-year-old to be our king, would we? We wouldn't typically pick a 12-year-old. In fact, in the prophets, God said that having a child rule over you was a sign of a kingdom that was weak. And here now we have a 12-year-old reigning in Judah. Here you are. You begin to reign. But let's look at a little bit more background. I told you to turn to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 38, and we see here Hezekiah's psalm, Hezekiah's song. Your dad wrote a song. And in this song, after he was healed, even though he had no children, look with me at verse 19. He spoke saying, the living, the living, he shall praise thee, the Lord, as, as I do this day. Hezekiah wrote this. Shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. Hezekiah wrote this, the declaration of praising the Lord and he making it known as a father to the children even though he wasn't yet a father. Three years later, he became a dad to you and I believe that Hezekiah did just as he said right here. Or may I ask you this? Some of you know the life of Manasseh. And some of you wrinkled your nose at me just now. I appreciate that feedback. I wish more people would wrinkle their nose at me more often or, or shake their head. That way I know that we're, we're communicating. You wonder, did Hezekiah really teach him the truth of Jehovah? Well, let's look at some more of your timeline. You're not your timeline, but your family tree. You see, you're there, Manasseh, at the bottom. You're the son of Hezekiah and Hephzibah. You're the grandson of Ahaz and Dabi. Here's your family. Hezekiah, tell me. Well, I better not ask you. How about Isaiah? Was Hezekiah a good king? What do you think? He said he was, so he's got to be a good king. Yep, he was right. Hezekiah was a good king. In fact, he was probably the best king since the days of David. He was a good king. Was Ahaz a good king? Yes or no? Give a guess if you don't know. No, he was a bad king. He was a very wicked king. In fact, I'm convinced Ahaz was the worst king of all Judah. In fact, you might be surprised by this, think he was worse than Manasseh. Oops, I just told you ahead of the story. Ahaz was an evil king. Wicked, 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 wicked. But yet Hezekiah, your dad, was a godly king. And your dad purposed to teach his children the truth of Jehovah. I believe he did. Now the big question is, did Manasseh obey the truth his father taught him? Did he? Well, take your Bibles and turn with me back to 2 Kings 
chapter 21, or if you have your harmony, you can turn to page 27, where we are looking at 2 Kings chapter 21 and 2 Chronicles chapter 33. For we learn that after Hezekiah had died, that Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. 50 and 5 years. That means that you started when you were king at your age, 12 years old. You're not quite 12, are you? Or are you 12? You are 12? You're 13. You're going to be 13, okay. Is anybody here who's 67 or thereabouts? William raised his hand up there. <laughs> Mr. Barrows, where are you at? 69, okay? So now imagine here, that's the spectrum here of his reign. He became king when he was this age, and he lived it to about the age of Mr. Barrows, and he reigned as king during that time. All right, so as we learn about the events today, don't imagine the whole time a 12-year-old boy, all right? So you can picture the 12-year-old boy and all the ages between him and Mr. Barrows. Well, what about this king? It says his mother's name was Hepzibah. You see Hepzibah? What's that name mean? Oh, we don't have time to go into all the fascinating parts of this. That is a beautiful name. It literally means Jehovah has delight in her. And what's really fascinating about it is that if we were to go back and look at our timeline here, you see there Hezekiah, and do you see who's the primary prophet during the life of Hezekiah and before him? Isaiah. Well, you know where we find Hepzibah talked about? Is in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 62, verse 4 where God makes promises regarding Israel, describing Israel as my Hepzibah Beulah, which means the one in whom I delight and am married to. So, is it any wonder that we find a young lady married to the king who's named Hepzibah? Jehovah delights in her. That's your mom's name. I wonder if your mom, also with your dad, taught you of Jehovah. Well, let's find out as we turn the page. Page 28 in your harmony, 2 Kings 21, verse 2. And Manasseh did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Oh. Oh. Listen to what he did, verse 3. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. Remember, your dad had gone throughout the land destroying all the pagan high places where on every hill and on every green hill they would build an altar to some new god or to some old god, gods that don't exist. Or they, on the high hills they'd build altars to worship the stars or the sun or the moon or whatever other thing they invented. 
And your father had gone about Hezekiah destroying these high places, destroying these altars. And now his son builds them up again. And not only does he rebuild those, it says that he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove. That means he reestablished the worship of Baal, which was a Phoenician cult and pagan religion that Jezebel brought to Israel years ago. Now he's introducing it in Jerusalem. Baal and Ashtaroth, the goal of the, the groves to Ashtaroth. Another pagan god supposedly married to Baal. Not existent gods, but demon worship. And their worship was despicable. And here he establishes it in Jerusalem. And not only did he set them up, he did this as Ahab, king of Israel, did. In fact, as we keep reading this description, we actually find out that you're described as worse than Ahab. How many of you think of Ahab as like the worst king ever? Like I think we mostly do. And now Manasseh is being described as him. And it says he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. The hosts of heaven, the stars, the sun, the moon. These are not things to worship. Rather, but when we see them in their majesty and in their order, we worship their creator and their designer, Jehovah. But not Manasseh. He worshipped the creation rather than the creator. Oh, verse 4, it gets worse. He built altars in the house of the Lord. Wait a minute. He built altars in the house of the Lord. And we find out here that these altars were pagan altars, not altars to Jehovah. Jehovah already had an altar. He took the actual worship of the Lord. See that? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Jehovah. Altars in his, of which the Lord said, in Jerusalem, I will put my name and But no, he's now perverted this place and turned it to a pagan worship center. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Not only did they worship out on the observation decks of the high hills, but he actually established the worship of the heavens in the temple of Jehovah, the creator of the heavens. Which was a direct contradiction to what God had said to do. In fact, in direct disobedience to what God said not to do. But it gets worse. Verse 6. And he made his son, 2 Chronicles says children plural, to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. The valley of the son of Hinnom was that valley there on the other side of Jerusalem where we had the Kidron Valley that separated Zion and Mount of Olives and on the other side, the Valley of Hinnom, which was the trash pit. There also, he set up Moloch, a pagan god where they worshipped and sacrificed their children. And so here now we find this Manasseh setting up this idolatrous worship center in direct opposition and disobedience to God. And you might say, can it get worse? It gets worse. It says he observed times. It doesn't mean that he had a clock. He observed times. He was superstitious of all things. But it was tied in with other things, for he used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits, demons, 
and wizards. Second Chronicles says that he used witchcraft. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy 18. Here, guys, come over here. Sit with me by these steps. I want you to see this. Deuteronomy 18. Instead of me just reading it. Right here, Deuteronomy 18, verse 9, the Lord says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, Thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. This was written over a thousand years before by Moses, the prophet inspired by God. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. Look as it continues. Or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. These are those who interact with demons and seek to interact with the spirits of the dead. God says, no. No. Verse 12, for all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. You know what I wonder? I wonder if... Hezekiah had not read this to his son Manasseh. And I wonder if Manasseh hadn't read this himself. And you know what he decided to do? Just what it said not to do. Do we know the truth? Do we know God's word? You know... Nowadays, we still have some of these things, but you know what we call it? Fantasy. I know I just stepped on some toes. Fantasy. No, no. That's the wrong word. What did God say they were called? Look at it. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. Beware. Know what God says. Matters of playing with the knowing of the times and astrology and, and horoscopes and of other aspects of witchcraft, or we call it white witchcraft, don't we, to try to minimize it. No, no, no. All of these, God says they're an abomination. Much of what led to the sacrificing of his children. I mean, we see this picture. And the horror of it is hardly even there. The idol that was hollow on the inside, but they would put fires inside of it to heat it up. And then they would put their babies in the arms of this burning hot idol. And let them just burn to death. 
This is where demonism, witchcraft leads. I don't want to leave the picture up there. Yesterday was an anniversary. And all across the United States, there were people who were celebrating and there were people who were confessing. For yesterday was the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And just as we somehow take demonism and we call it fantasy, we take child sacrifice and we call it abortion. Pro-choice. And we don't see the horror of what was on the screen where it's all quietly done. They're tied together. Our, our adversary, the devil, and his wiles has learned in our society and in our culture to play a whole lot more slick with us. Beware of him and the trouble he causes. Turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah 32. This was written as a prophecy a few decades after Manasseh died. You guys heard the name Jeremiah, right? Right now, the famous prophet's Isaiah, but Jeremiah's coming. Listen to what Jeremiah says in just a few decades. In Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 34, he says this, But they, Judah, set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire into Moloch, which I commanded them not. And listen to this. Neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, the God of Israel concerning the city whereof ye say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. God will judge it. Mm. Does it get worse? Well, in summation... 2 Kings 21, or 21, verse 8, he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Chronicles uses the word evil. And notice that it is in the sight of the Lord. Now tell me, do you think that Manasseh thought it was evil in his own eyes? What do you think? No, he didn't, because if he thought it was evil and wicked, he probably wouldn't have done it, right? Not necessarily. But I, he somehow rationalized this. He, he somehow rationalized this, this great wickedness. But, but it keeps going. It's like, can't it stop? Verse 7. And he set a graven image of the grove that he had made in the house which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel will I put my name forever. He now brings in the Baal worship 
into the temple. He's already like totally, it's like, how does he make it even any worse? But he does. Totally defying the very temple that God had established through Solomon and David. So God, listen to what he says in verse 8, neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers only if they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. He's warning of them being carried away captive, and he pleads to them, obey the law. You know, your dad was famous for publishing God's Word. You know what you're famous for? Defying it disobeying it. Now, I don't mean Nathan. I mean Manasseh. So you see, we can learn from Manasseh, can't we? See, you guys are all 12-year-old boys, and you might think and read about this Manasseh and think, oh, he has nothing to do with me. He lived a long time ago in a weird time. But oh, Manasseh was a 12-year-old boy just like you guys. He had the Word of God just like you guys. He chose to disobey. In fact, not only disobey, he chose to defy God's word. So how will you choose to treat God's word? Well, how did they treat? 2 Kings 21 verse 9, but they hearkened not. That means they heard, but they did not hear, and they did not do anything about it. They hearkened not to God's warnings. In 2 Chronicles, it said, So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Israel to err and do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. It says he made them do worse. We're talking about do worse than the than. I, I, I shudder to think of this. Then the peoples that God had driven out of the land in the days of Joshua for their iniquities will for all. He made them to do worse. And it's interesting to see the word used in 2 Kings. 2 Kings 21.9, it says, but they hearkened not. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. What does it mean to seduce them? That means that he apparently made it look fun, made it look attractive, made it look acceptable. Rewarded it. Threatened those who didn't do evil. Is your heart heavy? Mine is. And so the Lord sent to him his servants. We don't know their names. We know Isaiah has been around this time. Here, Elijah, can you be this prophet? The prophet, a servant of the Lord, comes to Manasseh. And it tells us that the Lord, 2 Kings 21.10, spake by his servants, the prophets, saying, 
Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations, and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both of his ears shall tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria, and the plummet of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance, and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies, because they have done that which was evil in my sight. And have provoked me to anger since the day of their, their fathers came forth out of Egypt, even unto this day. The Lord spoke to them through his servants, through his prophets. Did you hear it? Now, you know what's interesting? Do you guys have the harmony? If you look on the harmony on page 30 and 31, Second Kings records the speech records the actual message preached to them. Second Chronicles simply says, and the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people. In the harmony, that's written right here, and then we have the whole speech. And then the rest of the verse is over here. But they would not hearken. They wouldn't listen. You heard him talk about the plumb line of Samaria. Remember the plumb line? Remember? A sign of judgment. sign of judgment held up to a wall to see if the wall is straight. Put there in a wall when the wall is being built to ensure that it's built straight. But in some cases, when the wall is so crooked, it is a sign that the wall needs to be torn down. The line of Samaria means that they're just as crooked as Samaria was. And do you know where Samaria is right now? Would you see the crown get thrown across the room? Samaria was the capital city of Israel. And at this moment, when this is prophesied, Samaria lies in ruins, overrun by wild beasts. That doesn't sound very nice for you guys, does it? He says, should we like the plumb line or the line other than the plumb, plummet of Ahab? You all know Ahab, right? You all know Ahab? Where's Ahab? Where's his house? Obliterated. Gone. There's none of it. God says he's going to do Jerusalem as a man wipes a dish. I got a dish here. Is my dish clean? Is my dish clean? Nope. I got some mustard on there. That's some strong mustard. The dish, God says, is like Jerusalem. You see what's on there? That's like people. And God says that he is going to take Jerusalem like a man takes a dish, and as the man wipes it with the cloth, so he is going to do that too. 
Jerusalem. What he's saying here is a man wipeth the dish. He's going to take Jerusalem as the dish. And he's going to wipe away the people in Jerusalem. That doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? God has prophesied a warning that should cause your ears to tingle. In fact, he says it will cause both your ears to tingle. Are your ears tingling? Mine are. I believe that Manasseh's ears were tingling. But instead of submitting and humbling himself, he hearkened not and he did more and greater evil. Now, here lies an important reason why I want you to have a harmony. Or at least write it in your Bibles. After there in 2 Kings 21 and verse... Um, well, no, we're not done. We've got, we got one more thing to go here. In there, it tells us that there's more he did. So here he would not hearken to the word of the Lord. But look at verse 16. Moreover, so on top of all of this... All of the wickedness, all of the evil, all the paganism, all the idolatry, on top of sacrificing your children to an idol, all of this, and then hearing the word of the Lord and ignoring it, it says, moreover, that means on top of this, there's even more, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Woo. You know who I believe was among that? Those recorded in verse 10, the servants and prophets of the Lord. Hey, Isaiah, come here. We don't know if this speech was the message sent to the king by Isaiah. We don't even know what happened to Isaiah. Did you see on our timeline? Our timeline? Do you see there on the bottom left of the screen the little black bar? If we go back a little bit, who is that? It's Isaiah. It's Isaiah. It's not recorded in the Bible what happened to Isaiah. But in Jewish tradition, it is recorded that Manasseh murdered him. And you know how he did it? In a way described in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 speaks of those who had faith, and it speaks of others who endured torture. The others who were stoned, were killed, were sawn asunder. Hebrew tradition records that Isaiah was sawn asunder. It's a horrific thing. He would hollow out a log. I'm sorry to point at you. I'm your representative of Manasseh. He would hollow out a log, put a guy inside it, and then cut the log up. That is what is believed was done to Isaiah. That's why the black line ends there in this place in the timeline. Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. 
besides his sins wherewith he made Israel to, or Judah to sin in doing that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. Hey, you're dead. I'm convinced he's part of the innocent blood that's dead. So he disappears from this. And now, after verse 16, write in your Bibles, 2 Chronicles 33, 11. 2 Chronicles 33, 11 and following. Because 2 Kings pretty much leaves the account here with him being wicked, evil, and dying. Because if you actually kept on reading there in 2 Kings, it says, now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and his sin wherewith he sinned, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And Manasseh slept. He died. But that's not the whole story. There's a lot of people who reject the historicity of 2 Chronicles 33, verses 11 through 16, because they don't believe in a gracious God. But God is gracious. God is merciful. God is loving. God cares about Manasseh. Can you believe that? And so you know what God does with Manasseh? He raises up an Assyrian king and the captains of the host of the king of Assyria. And you know what? They took Manasseh among the thorns. A lot of people wonder, huh? They took him among the thorns? What's that mean? It means you were probably hiding in the wilderness behind a thorn bush. For the kings of Assyria invaded the land yet again, and they found him among the thorns. Another idea of what it may mean is, you know, the Assyrians had this little thing. What did you guys do to people when you take them captive? They put hooks in their lips or in their noses, like fish hooks, and they drag them with the hooks. And some people think the reference of thorns is, is that he was among all the thorns that had been driven through people's noses with hooks tied to them and drug. Pretty gross, horrific, isn't it? You're carried away. Take him. They come, the Assyrians, and they bound him with fetters, chains. We're not getting this guy tied up good enough. We got to, like, get him good. Yeah. Don't tie it too tight. We just run it around his neck. He might die. Right? How would you like this? shouldn't do that. <laughs> I'm chucking. It's not funny, is it? It's dangerous. Manasseh was in trouble. He was drugged away by the Assyrians. He was brought not to Nineveh. The Assyrians didn't bring people back to their own lands. You know what they did? They scattered them all over. So you know what you do? You bring them to another place you've conquered. Babylon. Because see, right now, Babylon isn't the great kingdom you all think Babylon is. Right now, Babylon is tribute to this guy. Babylon's no different than Israel up in the northern kingdom. So you get bound in fetters, you get carried away, thrown in a prison in Babylon. So let's just imagine here's your prison in Babylon. 
Deserves it, doesn't he? Second Chronicles 33, verse 12. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God. Notice the way it's written, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. And you might be out there thinking, oh, he doesn't deserve for God to hear his prayers. He doesn't deserve for God to show him any mercy. In fact, he hasn't even gotten what he deserves. Perhaps you know somebody who's been put in prison who's not even getting what they deserve. And you think good riddance. God doesn't think that way. No. God longs for those in such a place, whether in such extreme place or even in the little ways he disciplines us in our own lives for our own sin. He longs for us to humble ourselves greatly before him. Acknowledge our sin before him. Not minimizing it, not mitigating it, not marginalizing it, but in honest, humble confession, acknowledge our sins. Humbling ourselves under his righteous hand we may receive mercy. Did you know something? Manasseh, though he did not deserve any mercy, he was entreated of the Lord. The Lord heard. Huh? I would have written you off. Sorry. Most of you probably would be dead, so you couldn't write him off. But yet the Lord is entreated of him. Heard his supplication. And this is unbelievable. Brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. This is why I believe Hezekiah truly did teach his children the truth. I think as you sat there in that dungeon or prison, however you were bound in fetters in Babylon, and you remembered what your dad had said, you had remembered what God had said, even though you didn't have a copy of God's word there. And you know, God often disciplines his children, doesn't he? Hebrews chapter 12. And we're warned in the midst of that discipline to beware lest any man fail the grace of God. God disciplines us while at the same time he gives us the grace to endure it. But sometimes we let a root of bitterness spring up and defile us. You didn't. Manasseh didn't. I don't know how old he was. 
He might have been in his 20s, his 30s, his 40s. He could have been in his 60s when this happened. We don't know how long, when he was carried away, and how long he was carried away. But in the end, he humbled himself. Notice the word, greatly before the God of his fathers. And you know what? God showed him mercy and brought him back to Jerusalem. Can we get these off? Oh, my, my, that went a ways. He comes back to Jerusalem. And to finish up here, what does he do? Well, he built the wall without the city of David and the west side of Gihon in the valley, even to the entry into the fish gate. He compassed about Ophel, part of Jerusalem, and he raised it up to a very great height. He fortified the city. He put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judah. He did lots of building projects. But look what else he did. Verse 15, And he took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord, all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed thereon peace offerings and thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Yes! Wow! Now he sounds like his dad, Hezekiah. If only he had been this way from the beginning. For the trouble had already come. For it tells us in verse 17, Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places, yet unto the Lord their God only. You know what that means? That means that they continued in all of their pagan, idolatrous practices, and they just said it was the worship of the Lord God only. Well, in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 18, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God and the words of the seers that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. His prayer also and how God was entreated of him and all his sin and his trespasses and the places wherein he built up high places and set up groves and graven images before he was humbled. Behold, they are written among the sayings of the seers, these are lost records we do not have today. So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house in the garden of Uzzah. Manasseh died. Manasseh died a testimony to the grace of God, the mercy of God, the loving kindness of God. But let me give you one other piece of information. You need to write there, after he died, two references. 2 Kings 23, verses 26 and 27, and Jeremiah 15, verses 4 through 7 and following. Why? Jeremiah, in just a few hundred years, records this. And of the word of the Lord, Jeremiah says, And I will cause them, Judah, to be removed into all kingdoms of earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 
for that which he did in Jerusalem. For who shall have pity upon thee, O Jerusalem? Or who shall bemoan thee? Or who shall go aside to ask thee how thou doest? Thou hast forsaken me, saith the Lord. Thou art gone backward. Therefore I will stretch out mine hand against thee and destroy thee. I am weary with repenting. There will still be judgment brought about physically in the lives of the nation of Judah because of what Manasseh had led them in doing. The same is told us over in 2 Kings 23, verses 26 and 27, right in the midst of a great revival under Josiah, another king. See Josiah? God says it doesn't matter. Yes, he commends it, but it doesn't matter. They're still going into judgment. But you see this here in Jeremiah? He speaks of them as being forsaken. Remember I told you that what Manasseh's mother's name was? Does anybody remember his mother's name? Hepzibah. And Hepzibah means Jehovah delights in her. Well, turn with me over real quick to, to Isaiah uh, chapter 62 and verse 4, because here we've read of what Jeremiah says will happen because of Manasseh, and he talks about this being forsaken, saith the Lord, and all of this happening. But this is not to negate the promises that God made to Isaiah or through Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 62. Look with me at Isaiah 62 as we close. Isaiah 62 and verse 4. Here, Jeremiah says you're going to be forsaken because of what Manasseh did. And this even happens decades after Manasseh's dead. You'll be forsaken. Isaiah 62 verse 4. God told Isaiah this would happen too. But look at the rest of the story prophesied. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, God says. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hephzibah. Jehovah delights in you. And thy land Beulah married. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married the covenant relationship between God and Israel. For he is a young man, marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons be married thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. A restoration of Israel is promised. I worked totally out of time and over time, so we can't go into it, but I had to leave it with him. God's mercy, God's grace, do we rejoice in it amazing every day. Great God, we praise you this day and thank you for your love, your mercy. You are righteous, you are holy, you are just. But in your justice and righteousness, you have made possible the justification of sinful man through the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And as we see this yet future in Manasseh's day, and we see it hindsight today, May we glory in that, and may each one of us today find hope in him, find forgiveness and grace through you, Lord Jesus, and may all the glory, honor, and praise be to you, and may we walk humbly with you, our God. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you all so much. We'll see you back here at Court.